Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Interruptions. For those of you who are listening to us for the very first time, we call our podcast Interruptions because we believe that there is a magical space between an incident or something occurring and our reaction to that incident or occurrence. We call that space, that time in between the occurrence and the response, the interruption. We, the Workplace Learning and Professional Development team, believe that if you have the appropriate tools to engage positively during that interruption, that's when the magic can happen and we can yield the positive results that we all want. So in today's episode, it's a part of our Love GT series, Living Our Values Every Day. We're taking a deeper look into our Institute values, of which there are nine, but I'm super excited to chat with three of our campus leaders today, and our focus is on the value we strive for excellence. So I'm going to keep the suspense going just a little bit for our guests. Before they introduce themselves, we're going to start with a little game. Okay, just a little game. All right. And so have any of you all ever played the game One Gotta Go? No? Nope. 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 Okay. So it's very simple. I'm going to give you three or four things then you have to tell me which one got to go. And so I'll just call on you. We'll do one got to go. We'll do introductions kind of intermingled into that. All right. So we'll start with the fun one. And this is going to tell me a lot about each of you. All right. So Adele, you know, the singer Adele, Beyonce, Mariah Carey, or Kelly Clarkston. All right. So we got Adele, Beyonce, Mariah Carey, or Kelly Clarkston. All right. So Julia, which one got to go? Kelly Clarkson. Okay, that's good. That's good. I'm fine. I'm okay with that. All right. Bruce, which one got to go? I'm going to go Mariah Carey. Ooh. Okay, Mariah. Maybe. What, then what are we going to do at Christmas time? Exactly. <laughs> uh, Stephen, which one got to go? I do like Mariah's Christmas music, I have to say, but I would also agree with Mariah would be the one. Okay. Y'all are all good with me because nobody said Beyonce. So I am totally fine with each of you. All right. So Julia, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and what you do on our campus? Sure. Um, I'm Julia Kubanik. I'm a professor of biological sciences and chemistry and biochemistry. I've been at Georgia Tech since 2001. And I conduct research in marine science and teach classes in, in biology and chemistry. And I'm also the vice president for interdisciplinary research, which means I oversee our 10 interdisciplinary research institutes on campus and work with faculty and students to connect them with research opportunities beyond their normal day-to-day -day expertise. Awesome. Thank you for all the work that you do. All right. I got another one got to go for you. Apple pie, pecan pie, sweet potato pie, or pumpkin pie. Apple, pecan, sweet potato, or pumpkin. Steven, which one got to go? I would, uh, it's hard to say I love all pies <laughs> yeah. and all sweets, but probably pecan pie. Man, okay. Uh, Julia, which one got to go? I got to keep the, and I call it pecan pie. Sorry, I got to keep that one, but um, sweet potatoes got to go. Sweet potato pie, cannot, cannot do it. Oh my gosh. All the others, all the others on the same plate. 
All the other plate. Okay. And the funny thing is I'm sweet potato and pecan on the same plate. I like those together. All right, Bruce, what about you? Pecan pies got to go. Nuts aren't, nuts aren't supposed to be in pies, man. It's not their role. Play your position. Nuts do not belong in pies. Okay, that's fair. All right, Bruce, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do on our campus. Well, this would be a little intimidating based on the other two guests on this show. I don't, I don't do very much. Um, I'm the men's golf coach in athletics, and I was hired in uh, 1995. So probably been around here as long as most people at Georgia Tech. So uh, coach golf, uh, recruit young people, try to coach them and, and uh, share the values of what a great Georgia Tech degree will go. And then hopefully they go off and either play professional golf or get a, a really good job and want to be part of Georgia Tech for their entire life. Awesome. And I mean, you're so modest. Don't we win awards and all kinds of things in golf? What are you talking about? Yeah, the, the guys win a lot of stuff and I just kind of get a little go along for the ride. Thank you for going along for the ride. We definitely appreciate that. All right. Our last one got to go. It's going to be phone, like your cell phone, streaming platforms, the internet, or hot showers. So your cell phone, streaming platforms like Netflix, Hulu, all that, um, the internet as a whole, <laughs> or hot showers. Bruce, which one got to go? The streaming stuff's got to go. All that other stuff is kind of necessary. Yeah, I use all that stuff. I don't. I don't need to stream stuff. You don't want to watch like uh, Yellowstone. <laughs> no, I, I. It's the one I could do away with. You told me to get rid of the one I could do away with. I can do away with that. That's fair. I like the way you think. All right, Julia, which one? Yeah, I'm with Bruce. I can give up the streaming before I can give up the others. It's so funny. All right, you can give up streaming. Okay, and Stephen. Yeah, I'm of the streaming. <laughs> Nobody wants to go a hot shower. You can take a cold no. shower. No. <laughs> awesome. Thank y'all for playing along. So, Stephen, tell us who you are and what you do on our campus. Hi, I'm Stephen Gerardo. I am the vice provost for undergraduate education. I'm also an alumnus of Georgia Tech, so I'm entering my 32nd uh, year now at Georgia Tech. 30, yeah, 32nd. Um, so I've been here for a minute. And in my role as um, Vice Provost for Undergraduate Education, I oversee all of the programs and services that support uh, undergraduate student success, um, engagement, things like the Career Center and um, the co-op program and undergraduate research uh, academic support. And then I also work um, collectively with our faculty and administration on broad range of issues around undergraduate curricular matters, policies, um, interface with the University System of Georgia around their priorities, and so wear a number of hats. Awesome. Thank you for all the great work that you are doing for our students as well. So today, y'all, we're here to talk about our institute value, We Strive for Excellence. And thinking about all the great work and the things that you guys do, what I'd love to just kind of start with, and I'll throw it to you first, Julia, when you hear like our campus community is striving for excellence, what does that mean to you? I think about how we do excellent work every day. And because I work um, primarily in the research realm, I think about how we apply rigor and excellence and ethics to every step of the research process from the way that we work with each other as researchers. So we treat each other ethically and excellently. And also we do the best work we can accurately, honestly, fairly in regard of how the scientific method for research works. Excellent. 
That's so interesting. Bruce, I love to hear your perspective, particularly when we think about this idea of excellence from a competitive perspective. What do you think about it? Yeah, obviously, um, my situation is a little bit different. Obviously, it's, it's being a public figure, I guess, and having your results um, out there for everyone to see. Um, it's very easy to become, I guess, result-oriented sometimes rather than, than process-oriented. And the world is seeing what happens with sometimes with college athletics when results overtake the way things are done. And that's where it gets a black eye and, and those kind of things. So I guess and for me to make peace with knowing that people are watching and judging and, and uh, looking what I do, well, we've just tried to kind of create a pulse, an idea of, which I like is this, is this idea of just control the things that you can. Like we can be really great about going to class. We can really be great about being honest. We can be really great about being. And so it's, it's, it, we call it the pride meter, uh, I guess, in our program. And it's it just from the moment you get up in the morning, in all of the different activities that you're going to participate in, you know, just kind of turn the volume up to 10 and, and that's who you are. You, you don't go to class as a three and your hat's on backwards and, and you don't listen to the teacher, your computer's out. And then all of a sudden you go to lunch and it's, a, you know, you, you're, you or whatever. And then all of a sudden you go to practice and all of a sudden now, now I'm a 10, right? And then, and then what you do in the evening, as far as preparing for class and those things, and you turn it back down to a six, I tell them that what you are is a four, you know, it's an average of your, it's, it's, it's a, it's a sum of all of your activities. And so, I guess our reach for excellence kind of fits into this whole pride meter is, is just be great at everything that you do. And, and you can be satisfied with that. If it doesn't quite turn out the way you want. And this year we lost um, in the finals, of the NCAA championship, and that's not any fun, but you can step away from that, knowing that our process, I think what it's produced from the way the guys have succeeded in class and on the golf course as well, is that those are the things that you can control, not always necessary that the, the actual outcome of the contest. So I like this topic and that's really all we've tried to do is just be, the best version of yourself, whether you think those things are important or not, because obviously in our life, we prioritize things that matter more than others, but don't do that. And just kind of turn your knob up to 10 when you get up in the morning and leave it there all day. And then when they leave here, uh, you don't even have to make decisions anymore, right? It's, it's just kind of who you become. So that's kind of a big part of what I've tried to share with these young people for now going on 28 years. I love that, the pride meter. I, I really like that analogy. And so, Stephen, when you think about your work and our students, we have some of the most high achieving students, you know, in the world, um, used to always being excellent. Um, tell me a little bit about your perspective on this idea of we strive for excellence. That's a great question. And I think, you know, as you pointed out, we bring in some of the best students um, from around the world to, to Georgia Tech, and they're accustomed to being excellent at uh, their academic endeavors and in many other ways um, when they arrive at Georgia Tech. And I think as they begin their undergraduate experience, the definition of excellence need, may evolve. They're going to experience failure for the first time in a lot of, not just, the, you know, maybe not just academically, but in life in general, they're going to experience new cultures. They're going to interact with people that they may not have interacted with before. And so I think when we're thinking about you know, what is excellence from an undergraduate student's perspective? Um, it's contextual to their individual experience. And and it doesn't mean I'm going to get the best job making six figures and get a 4.0 GPA and, and have everything uh, carved out for me. But it's really about looking at the challenges and obstacles they may be facing in their undergraduate experience and learning the skills they need to overcome um, those barriers to achieving what they want to achieve for themselves. Um, I also think that excellence to me is really embracing the diversity of our community at Georgia Tech. As I mentioned, students may come from communities here to Georgia Tech, and they'll be around 
students uh, that they have not necessarily been around globally. They'll hopefully have met you know, over 50% of our undergraduates do study abroad and get to go experience different cultures. And so engaging that diversity and making that part of their framework for excellence, I think is really important to them. Yeah, this is good stuff. So when we look at the definition that the Institute has put forward for us as our sort of guardrail or guidepost around excellence, it reads, we strive to be among the best at what we do and to set high expectations for each of us individually and for our community as a whole. And so I'd love to turn the discussion a little bit internally to each of you. So individually for yourselves, as we know that, you know, you all are leaders on campus, coaches, you know, professors, leading research, leading large teams. How do you yourself keep your pride meter, you know, as um, Coach has mentioned, how do you keep that on 10? And Bruce, you want to start with that? How do you do that for yourself? Well, I guess I, I learned this a long time ago. Um, I don't know if it's a military situation, whatever. But the idea is that you can't lead from the rear and that you really can't ask these young people to do things that you're not wanting to, to do yourself. So if they don't see the same level of effort, commitment, uh, they can see right through that. And so uh, whether it's been having gotten up every morning for 28 years at 430 in the morning to drive down and be part of their workout when they're in the gym with their trainers. I mean, obviously, I don't need to be there. Um, I wonder through the years if I even being there even matters. But I, I couldn't just gather myself with the idea that I'm home asleep and we've asked these young people to get up in or whatever endeavor that they're involved in, whether it's a, a dinner they need to go to or a banquet. And I was like, well, you know, I really don't need to be there. And I just I guess I've tried to just use the process of just leading from the front rather than from the rear and not asking them to do things as far as being great or do the right thing or lead or, or whatever is involved in all of that without trying to demonstrate that myself. Obviously, no one's perfect. And we all make mistakes. But I, I think when I've made mistakes, they've seen the level of commitment that I have to the school and to the athletic program. And so I think when I've when I've not failed or, or said the wrong thing or done something, I think there's been a lot of grace because it's like, well, the old man's trying. Right. And uh, and so I think that you just can't ask people to live a life or do things that's different than what the leader's doing. And, and I kind of came with that a long time ago and sure failed at times. But that's kind of been my guiding motto, I guess, as far as this goes. Yeah, thank you for that. Stephen, how do you, when you think of excellence for yourself internally, sort of how do you keep your pride meter on 10? The couple of things that come to mind with my individual, what I define as excellence, um, working hard to do the right thing, uh, making good decisions for, for myself, for my family, for the people that I lead, caring about the work that I do. You know, I get up every day and I'm excited to come to work and motivate the next generation of leaders and scientific uh, researchers and people that are on the front line of are, are going to do some amazing things. And that motivates and excites me. And so everything I do is from a lens of care. And so those are the ways that I think, I hope that excellence manifests itself through, um, through those actions. Yeah. What about you, Julia? I think that I try to be transparent about the hard parts. So, and that includes with the team I work with um, for the interdisciplinary research administration, but also the students that I partner with in the lab and the students um, that I teach in the classroom. So it's, it, let's, if we use research as an example, if I'm transparent with students about what the hard parts are of the research, 
then they can see that success isn't always the outcome. We, as Stephen said, our students are learning to, to face failure sometimes for the first time in their lives. We have to allow failure in research. Otherwise, you pressure people to do the wrong thing. So by being honest about what are the hard parts and that uh, sometimes research doesn't work the way you expect or hope it to, and that is the answer. The answer is that the result wasn't what you wanted, but that's the result. And if there's an, if there's an acknowledgement that failure is acceptable, then you get the truth. And that's the only way we advance new knowledge is by being willing to recognize the truth, even if it's not the answer we wanted to see. Absolutely. It's so interesting to me, right? When we think about this idea of excellence, we always hold it up to like being correct and accurate and right and doing things the right way. And in order to be excellent, in order to innovate, you have to be safe to fail, to try new things. And if you can't make it safe for for our students, for our, our faculty, our staff members, our colleagues to try new things, then how do we become excellent and innovate? So those things kind of go hand in hand. Also, at the opening, I said we have nine institute values, right? That's a lot. <laughs> Can't do all nine things at one time. But sometimes I find, and I don't know if you guys believe this to be true or not, and, and I'll kind of go around and see what you think, but sometimes our values can be in conflict with one another. And so when we think about this idea of striving for excellence, but we also value our well-being, Sort of how do you kind of guide, and you can speak of this from yourself, you know, how you do it for yourself, or how do you guide folks that you work with or students to kind of balance this idea of excellence and well-being? And Julia, you can take that first if you like. Okay. Well, first of all, I think we have to celebrate the fact that we don't have to be on all the time. Having well-being means that you have to have some time away and that refreshing makes you a better person, makes you a happier, more satisfied person, but also allows you to do your better work because you come to the work refreshed and ready. So I think that it's important to allow people the space to, to do other things in addition to the very hard work that we do. If we act like excellence is more stuff that has to be done, always more, 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 First of all, we sacrifice well-being, which puts us in conflict with that other one of our nine values, as you said. But I also think that then you sacrifice some of the excellence because people need to have uh, the room to breathe in order to be able to do their best work. I like that. Stephen, what would you add to that? Yeah, I would add to your sort of your overall question about sort of values that may conflict with each other. You know, the notion of excellence, if you look at that opening sentence, we strive to, to be the best at what we do. You know, that can sometimes, I think, lead, lead to kind of an individual perspective, whereas when we look down the list of values, we see things like collaboration listed as a value. And I think sometimes, especially when students are coming in and they've been successful as individual contributors and in their work, and we, we get to Georgia Tech and we talk about, you know, working in teams. I mean, certainly in the sciences, working in a research setting is not a, typically not an individual endeavor. You're working in a, in a group and a team. And we have undergraduate research, we have innovation, all of these things that we, um, you go and work in the professional world, internships and co-ops. I mean, you're, you're typically not a one-off uh, individual. You're working in a group setting and a team. So I think exploring the idea of how to foster collaboration and teamwork while still being able to work towards excellence um, as an individual as well, that's probably an area that I might use as an example of where we want to tease that out a little bit in our values. 
Yeah. And I think the same can be true for staff and faculty too, because you know, we want them to they we come in saying we want to be excellent at what we do. And then how do we work with our colleagues and our peers and our teams to make sure that together it's uh, you know, we before me kind of approach. Yeah, I love that, Stephen. Bruce, maybe you have something there from a team perspective that kind of can enlighten us on. Yeah, this is this is a this is a what's could be a long answer. Um I guess arriving in 1995, I had worked for someone who may arguably have been the most successful Division One men's coach, and and uh, it was all encompassing. I mean, it was uh, go home when he was done, and and uh, you know, young family and, and those kind of things. And and I probably was a little misguided, I think, in this reaching for whatever. And, and if you watch the NCAA basketball tournament, which maybe no one does anymore, they play this the one shining moment song at the end, and they do the video. But when I arrived at Georgia Tech, that thing was playing on repeat in my mind. Right. And that was it was if you don't win the national championship, then the year is a failure. And I, and I really bought into that. And I, and I think was misguided for a long time. And it wasn't probably until we had children. And all of a sudden, when you come home and you've just finished fifth, you know, they really didn't care. Like that wasn't part of their thing. And all of a sudden you realize that, hey, this excellent thing is that you're missing out on recitals and, and being gone. I mean, at one point, you know, we're on the road, 120 nights a year trying to recruit and do stuff. And, and obviously missed a lot of things in my kids' lives that I, I still now, you know, regret to this day. But but I think I've grown up some and realizing then it goes back to that excellence has to be the process, not the result. And I'm more comfortable now. You know, it would be shocking the number of people that called me after this June and go, how are you doing? And I'm going, look, we just finished second. There's there's 312 Division One schools and our guys, they're graduating and, and, and the things that really matter. I think so. I think I've made an adjustment of determining what the excellent what what are those things that matter right but also in my thing with it being that you know it's an individual sport but then we got to have a team and to watch young people either help somebody or don't help somebody well if i help somebody then i don't get to go we're, we're the one team on campus that when we go play we leave people behind because there's no substituting there's no whatever and so you know you have this team of 10 and five people are getting what they want all the time and the other five are left home taking finite math and survey of calculus and probably not real thrilled about either one of those right and so it's very hard to create this team thing, but I, we've tried to create some selflessness and, and to look about like what, whatever we do, everybody matters, that the better the sixth guy is, the better the fifth guy has to be to get to go. And uh, where I was before, that if you won the national championship, if you weren't at the tournament, the other five kids didn't get a ring. And so we've tried to celebrate whenever we've done anything that everybody mattered, but it, it's easy to get lost in, in what is that. But I think I've made a transition from about, me and and this and I and winning uh, to where our guys are doing what Dr. Rice suggested that we do when he hired me a long time ago. And it's the total person program. And that overall development of the, of the young person is out, is going to be my definition of excellence rather than just winning a golf tournament. Absolutely. And I think it's so interesting in higher education where we have to be shifters of that perspective. Because I think about it from a, parent, a parental perspective, right? If I send my kid to you know, one of the best colleges in the world, I want them to make the best grades in the world. And those grades are they, right? And so the internal pressures that our students have on themselves, the external pressures that, you know, the world puts on you, our families put on us, you know, people who are learning, because even though we're leaders, we're also learning different perspectives and all of these things. I really like that we get to ground ourselves in our values in some ways, right? Because we can define what excellence looks like and we can have discussions like this that says the, I think, um, Julia, maybe you said it, but it's the process. It's the, it's not necessarily the outcome all the time, like value, excellent, being excellent in the process. 
the, the definition goes on to say the expectation of excellence, which is instrumental in our ability to have a meaningful impact in the world. So at the end of the day, are we having a meaningful impact in the world? And that extends to our teaching, our research, our creative endeavors, our athletic programs, and our operations. So that is a huge mountain to sort of climb excellence in everything, but recognizing that it is about the process. So when we sort of start to break that down and we think about, you know, we have Julia from the research perspective, we have Bruce from the athletic perspective, and Stephen from the undergraduate perspective, how do we um, integrate like continuous improvement and development into this idea of excellence? Because if excellence is kind of the goal, how do we, I don't know, infuse, like we all have to continue to grow and, and develop. And um, we can start with, with you, Julia. Okay, so maybe one way to think about it is, you know, we're an educational institution. And so the students aren't the only people learning all the time. And they're not only learning in the classroom or on the field or in the lab. They're, they're, we're learning as faculty and staff as well. So an attitude of lifelong learning, I think, gives us the challenges to strive for new forms of excellence uh, and to learn alongside our colleagues who have different things to bring to, you know, we each bring something different to the table and we can learn from each other. I gravitated towards what you said about the importance of what we do. You know, we want to do, we want to do work that is important in the world. And so on the research side, that means choosing the science, the research questions, the challenges and the projects that will be important for people, important for the planet. Uh, important for whatever our goals are in research. And that's a team sport as well. The selection of the research is something that really um, can be excellent or it can be just sort of so-so. And it does go back to, you know, the willingness to, to, to risk failure because the more challenging and important the work you want to do, the harder it might be to, to have it work out. Um, but I think that's, that's the environment we want to create where people have the playground to try to help decide what is what is the most important thing I can do, whether it relates to to research or to any other endeavor on campus. Absolutely. Bruce, do you have anything to add there? It's interesting because I'm in a place where there we're we're splitting atoms and and, and and putting water on the finding water on Mars and stuff. And I'm just coaching golf. You know, we talk about the changing the world or, or having an impact. I guess mine's a very small mindset of Obviously, our group's very good. It's 10, it's 10 people, right? And so we're together all the time. And so I have a great opportunity to watch, you know, like have a front row seat to their development. You see what, right? So, I, I mean, it's very personal. It's, it's not new people every year. It's, it's, a, it's a small group of people. And I guess my idea is, is it's, it's, an, it's wonderful to have a front row seat to watching somebody change. And obviously, they're not inventing things or, or doing wonderful, incredible, I guess, intellectual things. And so mine is more, trying to somehow before they leave, create somehow a better father and a better husband. And, and, and that's, you know, that's changing the world is how kids in other homes will be treated and, and raised and those kind of things. And so it's not, you know, it's not real high stuff, whatever that is, or I guess I think it's important, but for me, it's more about where we are and what I do is about people and, and how they're going to live their lives and, and um, raise their kids and treat other people. It's incredible to watch the change uh, from 
a pretty narcissistic 17 year old who has been about him and mom and dad have hauled him around and, it, and no one else matters to actually see somebody by the time they're a senior actually care about a teammate, help somebody lend a hand. Uh, it's the greatest job in the world. And, and so mine is a different kind of, I guess, change the world thing. But I do say, think that changing how these young men will treat their spouses and their children and, and lead in whatever they endeavor that is going forward is, I found, extremely rewarding. Absolutely. It's so amazing to have a front seat in someone's growth. That's amazing. Stephen, would you add anything? The only thing I would add to this discussion is, is I'm a big believer in, you know, why are, why are we doing what we're doing? What's the why here? And I think as we talk about wanting to be excellent or promoting excellence for Georgia Tech and what we're doing and on the educational front, especially, it's really grounded in the motto of progress and service. And if you look at our, the language and our strategic plan, you see words like changing our world for the better, creating uh, value for the greater good, improving the human condition. And so, you know, excellence for excellence sake is fine, but I think our values at Georgia Tech are ultimately rooted in this bigger idea of how to take our education, our research, our service, our athletics, everything, and really help advance our world, make our world a better place. And so that's, to me, really important to sort of continue to be grounded in. Absolutely. I often say, like, I try to relanguage in my mind, like I get to do this work. Like I, I'm privileged to be able to, like Bruce saying, have a front seat of seeing people grow, develop, change, increase their leadership capacity. Now, as we prepare to sort of close out this discussion, we've mentioned failure quite frequently throughout this podcast. And I just want to know if you all have any tips, any tricks, any words of encouragement that you are able to provide to folks who are striving to be excellent, right? Yet sometimes we just don't meet the mark. And so what are some, some things, some ways that you can encourage people, um, you know, to make it safe because it has to be safe for folks to, to innovate and to fail. But, you know, how do, how do we pull them out of it? Particularly, and I'll start with you, Stephen, particularly undergraduate students when I've facilitated and taught GT1000 and I've had students get that first F and they're just like, it's over. So what are, what are some motivational tips for students, even as a leader that you can give to people to kind of pull themselves out of that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, you know, Julia hit on, on a really key point that I like to reinforce, which is we don't have innovation. We don't have We don't have innovation. We don't have new discoveries without failure to advance knowledge. There's a lot of failure behind that. And it's hard when a student's coming into Georgia Tech with likely a very um, perf near perfect GPA and they've been at the top of their class and they've not uh, achieved failure. But it's more about, I, I really tried, and it's, it's something that I think it's hard to just tell students. They have to kind of experience for themselves. But we, we remind them that it's not so much about the failure, it's about what you do next. And, you know, um, I'm a big uh, reader. I, I follow, Bre I, mean, I don't go to Brene Brown for undergrads necessarily, but I do, you know, you're in the ring, right? The whole premise of her work and some of her writing is that quote on, you know, you, you're in the ring. That's uh, not the spectators, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's the person in the ring that's fighting a good fight. And as a practical example at Georgia Tech, you know, one of the ways we've explored that is through grade forgiveness. So we have a policy where students can repeat a course um, if they do not succeed, because learning is not a 
15-week cycle for everybody. It just doesn't occur magically for every single student in a 15-week semester period. So we have policies on the books so that um, when a student may not succeed in a course, they can retake that course. And, you know, there are technical pieces that go along with this that I won't get into, but by and large, you know, the grade can be replaced. Um, so that's one opportunity, I think, that we create a little bit of a safety net around get in there and try some things. Try out a course that you may uh, not be familiar with or in a subject area. So there's some some scaffolding that we do to help students along the way, but it is an adjustment. And, you know, the whole concept of failing forward and things like that are things that we try to, like you mentioned, introduce in GT1000, but it's hard for students even just to think that they're going to need help when they start here. And so really introducing the idea of seeking help and using resources from the very beginning is important. Bruce, what were some of the elements of your speech when you all came second? Like, well, what, what did you tell the team? Well, it was just the reality that, um, you know, there were there's 311 people that finished behind us. Right. And um, there, there were two on the last day there were just two standing. And, um, you know, I just told them that, that in my mind, based on what I had watched for the 12 month period from when the last one ended is there was nothing else that could be done. There was not another hour that we could have stayed up. There was not another putt that could have been hit or another chip or another thing. Is that that was the summation of everything that we had done and that that's all you can control. It goes back to the controllable thing again, right? And that there was nothing more to be said. I told them I loved them and there'll be another day. And uh, that, that uh, as I've thought about it, I don't have any regrets. There was nothing else to be done. We don't need to go back and think about what if this coulda, shoulda, woulda, which is what sports tends to to tend to do, right? And I and I and and that's what I just try to pr provide some relief from the heartbreak of getting that close to what everybody wants, um, knowing that, 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 that was what that's, we, we did as good as we could do. Yeah. Thank you, Bruce. And Julia, how do you bring a, how do you bring us out of that, that funk that sort of happens right. when you try, you try, you try, you do your right. best and you still kind of miss the mark a little bit. Yeah. So in, in, in research, you know, we have to work hard and we have to work smart. So the individual student who's conducting research or the other researchers doing the work, each of us is is responsible for working hard, but the working smart, we can help each other. And, and I think this applies to students studying and learning in the classroom too. Um, you can you can grind away and put in your effort and you got to do some of that, but you also have to be thoughtful about what what is the big picture here? What what are what are my choices and and where do I want to put my effort? And in research, that's that's the choice of you know, there's so much we can learn out there. There's so many things that we don't know about how the world works, about how the universe is structured, about how people think and, 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 and create important you know, works of art. There's so many things we don't understand about everything in the universe that there's infinite number of ideas we can explore. And so working in teams and working with the right kind of mentorship, I think we can help students work smart and then we have to um, help them to motivate to work hard. And I, I think that in my line of work, if you if you work smart and you work hard, something's going to work out. It, it's I haven't seen it yet that that nothing works out in that circumstance. So then we have to have a little bit of of pep talking and and a little bit of trust um, and and convince the the younger people who have less experience that you know something's going to work out here that you're going to be really proud of and that you're going to have something to show for all of this amazing effort. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for, for the insights that you've provided. I like for you to think about just closing statements. Like if there's anything you would say to our audience about striving for excellence, 
For me, I think I really am motivated by the fact that I get to come to work and be around some of the most brilliant people that I've ever met in my entire life. And in some ways that can be intimidating and in other ways it is inspiring and it helps me to continue to strive to be the best that I can possibly be, the best leader, the best employee, the best manager. And so knowing that it has been articulated that we are striving to be amongst the best, knowing that it is really about the journey is the things that keep me sort of motivated. So as we close this podcast, I'll start with you, Bruce. Any final thoughts that you would share with our audience about this idea of striving for excellence? Well, I think just in the process, um, you know, I, I think, I don't know, again, I'm a little old fashioned and, uh, and maybe the old guy on the, on the conversation, but um, the reality is you're going to have to do some hard things. And I think a little bit in society today, again, maybe overgeneralizing things, but I think people maybe we've stopped learning how to do hard things and whether it be research or study at Georgia Tech, there's going to be some hard things in there and you have to be willing to fail and have to be willing to do hard things. But if I, even I've shared with my own children that if you can learn how to do hard things, it's always going to work out. You will climb to the top of whatever thing it is that you desire, because most people will walk away from those things and, and then, and you just keep doing what you're doing. And, and, and so I think to strive for that, if you can learn to analyze it, that it's not going to be easy, but if you just choose to do the things that others won't do, then, then you will reach excellence at, at a very high level. Absolutely. I tell my daughter every morning, you can do hard things. We can do hard things. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bruce. Julia, what final thoughts do you have? So I think everybody who's uh, working or studying at Georgia Tech is part of the success of Georgia Tech. So I think for some of our employees, we sometimes feel a little bit distant from the excitement of the learning and the new knowledge that's created here, but all of us are part of that wonderful outcome. So I, I think that one thing that I would encourage people to do is uh, broaden their networks on campus and, and find those energetic hotspots because they're there. And sometimes it's as simple as, you know, the first week of class walking through the Clough Undergraduate Learning Commons and you just feel that energy of the first week of class and you feel like you're part of something, even if you're not teaching those particular students. So it is, I agree with you, Latrice, it's an amazing environment to be part of, even though, you know, I'm at the stage of my life where I'm past taking classes and trying to get a degree. I love being around the students and, and feeling um, that, that passion. Awesome. Thank you so much, Julia. And we'll give you the final word, Stephen. No pressure. Uh, <laughs> Pulls us out strong. <laughs> make, make it good. Make it excellent, right? <laughs> um, I, I think I'll just keep it simple in that I really think excellence is how each individual defines excellence. You know, in looking internally, what excellence means to me um, may be different than what excellence means to you or to anybody else on this panel. And I think that's important to remember and, and to be reflective about. Excellence may mean that my daughter has is treats people kindly and I'm raising her to be kind. And that to me is how I define excellence in my personal life. Absolutely. That goes well with our kind of opener with this idea of our own personal pride meter that Bruce gave us. Like turn whatever your pride meter is, turn it up to 10, leave it at 10 and do the best that you can do. Um, and that, my friends, is what how we define excellence. So thank you so much for your participation. Thank you to our listeners for listening. And for the purposes of this podcast, you have been interrupted. 